Well, everyone's looking for hope. We're in a world uh, full of problems. Personal crisis, family relationships, financial troubles, inflation out of control. We're feeling it in the pocketbook. There's national crisis, homelessness, drug epidemic. There's international crisis. There's war. There's things going on. The, the list of problems in this, in this life is endless. And the solutions are myriad. The solutions offered by man. And so are their failures. There's a wreckage on the highway of history of, of solutions offered. Where is real hope? Where can we find the strength to face life and to move forward? Well, we have in this psalm the exhortation to notice this God and praise this great God because He is our hope. Folks, we have the answer in, in our great God. And in this psalm, we are exhorted to praise, exhorted to worship Him as His people full of hope despite our circumstances. There's a, a, a story of a town in, in, Flagst- in Maine called Flagstaff, not Flagstaff, Arizona. And the town was to be flooded as a dam was being built and was to become part of a large lake. Well, pretty soon, uh, all improvements in the town stopped. People didn't paint their houses, didn't take care of their yards, and things decayed quickly. The explanation given is something worth noting. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. In contrast to the hopelessness in the world, the search for answers, we have the answer in whom we serve and whom we worship. And this psalm directs us to the God of Israel and to the hope we have. And because of that hope and and the reasons given in this psalm, we can praise Him and be a praising people on display to the nations, to the world. So as we walk through Psalm 33, I pray that because of it, we would gain a grander vision of our great God, a greater picture of Him that would, like I said in our prayer, that it would inflame our hearts and that we'd be people that are bursting with thankfulness and praise so that people would see and say, what is going on? What is up with them? And we would say, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at Psalm 33. And, and we see uh, the psalmist here giving us a call to give praise that is appropriate of our, of our great king. A praise befitting the king. So in verses 1 through 3, we have the call to sing a new song of praise. It, it, we, we are called to sing we're called to shout for joy in the Lord. Now, we were just singing, but he says, shout for joy. How many of you have been to a professional sports game? Any of you? I lived in Brazil. Go to a soccer game there, and you feel the, the crowd and the emotion. And that's for a dumb kid's game. If you're a soccer player, I'm sorry. I love soccer, but it's a dumb kid's game. Here, shout for joy in the Lord. Oh, you righteous, praise is becoming or befits the upright. In verses 1 through 3, we have shout, give thanks, make melody, sing, play skillfully, have loud shouts to this great God. It's the bold, overflowing from the heart kind of praise that becomes contagious. 
If you've been to one of those games, you start feeling the emotion in the crowd and the excitement gets contagious. You ever felt that? I've been to Shepherd's Conference over the years. My first time there in, in 2000. And 3,000 men singing hard these hymns. Oh, it was great. I was ready to go to war. But there's something contagious when there's people who are on fire and inflamed singing praises to God. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. This is the first time, by the way, in the book of Psalms, a book full of songs, that we have instruments mentioned. Interesting. But here, these, he's talking about arranged songs that are thought out, that are skillful in melody with the use of instruments. But it's, it's not just emotion-filled songs. It's songs full of reason, full of thoughts. There's, there's information that, that's to inform how we praise God, that are to, to draw our hearts to God. And these are bold songs with solid statements that draw out praise. That's why we, fo- we avoid what we call 7-Eleven songs here. Songs with seven lines that you, read, that you sing 11 times in a row. Those are emotion-filled songs, but without solid words, biblical theology, they're empty. You might walk out with an emotional high, but it's fleeting. Here the psalmist calls us to sing songs that are full of reasoned out biblical thoughts and words that give the meat that informs our praise. Enthusiastic, yes. Emotions are involved. Yet they're informed. Such praise is appropriate from God's people because of whom they praise. Thankfulness. We're supposed to do it with thankful hearts. It's the, it's that inner overwhelmed recognition of God's blessing. And praise is the overflow of such thankfulness. Thankfulness in the heart leads to loud and new songs from your lips. And this is a corporate psalm, and we're calling others to join with us. So when you sing, do you sing loud? Do you sing with enthusiasm? Do you sing a new song because you recognize what God is doing even now in your life? That's the challenge to God's people. We don't sing just these old hymns of praise because they're so good and God only spoke back then. We sing these songs because they remind us of what He's doing now and they become our words. We join with God's people because we see Him during the week. We see Him working in other people's lives and we get excited. We see people hurting and we bring them, we bring them encouragement from God's Word and then we see them encouraged and we're encouraged. So we come here after a week of paying attention to what God is doing and we come and we bring our enthusiasm When we sing praises, do you? May we do it more. Sing a new song, folks. People of God, our God deserves this kind of worship. Don't wait to be led into worship. Come ready to worship. And and it's great on Sunday morning seeing the fellowship. Oh, what a joy.
Like Adrian said, it's hard to, to end that, to start the service. But when the service starts, are you ready? May we come with a new song, with new energy and new excitement for the Lord. With loud shouts, it says. Now, you don't have to shout, but do you sing loud? Mean it. Let's mean it. I, I think of, when I hear this, I think of uh, Exodus 15. Moses and the children of Israel have just walked through the Red Sea. And at the other side of this great victory, they did nothing but walk, Right? We have the Egyptian army and their chariots chasing behind. They, and as the children of Israel get to the other side, the sea collapses and there's a major victory won over Egypt. And they burst out a new song. Let me read it to you. It's in uh, Exodus 15. I'll just read you the first 11 verses if you'll turn there with me. Exodus 15, 1 through 11. All the way at the other end. Exodus 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And they go on from there. And the answer is, there is none like our great God. Imagine two million people singing that. Two million! They had just seen the great deliverance of God over the mightiest nation of the time. All they did was walk. Now, we haven't had that happen to us lately, but is that God still working? Yes, He is. Every day, all the time. Will you bring a new song with you? We must. Verses 4 through 5, we, we are now told by the psalmist, he gives us a reason, uh, number one, for this new bold song of praise, a new song praising the beauty of His character, His attributes. He says this, for the word of the Lord <clears throat> is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. His word, it's upright, it's on the level, it's not crooked but straight. It's right, and it stands the test of time. His works, they're faithful. What he, is, what he does is done in alignment with his character, 
Therefore, they're to be trusted. So what he, what he says and what he does can be trusted. And, and he's good and he does good, so he's faithful and he's going to take care of his people. That's the kind of God who, who's he's the faithful one. He's the upright one. He's faithful always in contrast to people who are not. How many of you have been let down by somebody? How many of you have let somebody down? God doesn't. He's worthy to be praised. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. His his works are righteous. His, His judgments are just. We're in an unfair world. Justice doesn't always win out as far as we can see. But God is just and he will bring justice, whether it's now or in the life to come. God is just and we can follow him. He loves these things, righteousness and justice, and and that motivates his his words and his works. And his steadfast love, he's not stingy with his love. It fills the earth. He doesn't dole it out in measure. It's overflowing for his people. That's the God who's covenanted with his people. And in Jesus Christ, in the new covenant, we become recipients if you're a Gentile. Through Christ, we have the covenanting love of God for us. A love that does not end. A love that endures. He's a God over all the nations. Back then, they thought a nation would have its God, and it was a localized God. God is a God of all the earth. There's nowhere you can run from His love and from His care and from His protection. Does that that give you hope? So we have brothers and sisters in Ukraine under terrible conditions. Do they still have the steadfast love of God on them? Yes, they do. We'd be praying for them. But they have not, they're not out of His reach. His love fills the earth. He's not a God who's limited by time, by geography, by place. He's God of the whole earth. And the ultimate proof of that, love, is Jesus Christ. How much does He care about the evil in this world? The cross says it all. Jesus joyfully went to the cross on our behalf. Jesus is the one who's provided the payment for sin so we could be pumped, we can receive his forgiveness if we repent of our sins and reach out to him for forgiveness, for hope, for eternal life. That's how much God loves us by sending his son. That's available to you. We've talked about it many a time. In the gospel is the free offer of salvation to all. Many are called, but you got to respond in faith. So we're praying that you would do that to know this God, this God of steadfast love, whose love reaches and fills all the earth. This should inform our praise. So reason number one, he is an amazing God with beautiful character. Reason number two is in verses six through nine. We, we see him, God's people are to sing a new song praising him for his power as, of, as creator. His creation that declares his glory, his handiwork that's available all the time for us to see of his power, his creative might. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. 
and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. The upright word you can count on is the powerful word that creates from nothing. He spoke, it came into being. He said, let there be light, boom, there was light. He said, let there be planets and stars and animals, and it all happened exactly the way he wanted it. I say this often in counseling. When people come with their problems, they're overwhelmed. And I tell them, you know what? The God who created the universe is not overwhelmed by your problem. You might be, but I'm telling you, there's hope because of the God we go to. Anything you face in life, our powerful God can handle it. And there's hope for you. He is the creator God. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the breath of his mouth, all their host. If you've ever taken any time to look at the pictures of our universe, oh man, the beauty of the constellations and and the greater pictures we have should overwhelm. I, I encourage you to do that. Go online and look at some of these pictures. And then they start trying to give you an idea of the distances involved. It's mind-boggling. And yet it says that he holds the universe in his hand. Our God is the transcendent, mighty God who spoke and it came into being. He's worthy of praise, isn't he? Let that inform your hearts. And it's, it's easy to lose sight of that. We wake up in the morning to our to-do list, to the things we have to do, the, the traffic we have to go through, the, the, the boss that has a list of things you got to do. That it can so distract us. Let this song of praise draw you back to a time to reflect. Our God is worthy of praise. It says he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. You understand, and into the ancient Near Eastern mind, the sea was, was the place of chaos and the place of, of mysterious, uh, scary things. And the deep was, was uncontrolled and chaotic. And yet we see here, he says that he, he commands them and he gathers them up and he stores them up. He's so utterly powerful, he controls them at a word. This is a powerful statement to people of that time. Let's not miss it in our own. How many of you have ever been to the beach on a, on a, a day of a huge swell? I was at the beach one day when there was a 20-foot waves down at Ventura. The waves, it was high tide, so it was hitting the rocks on the shore that were shooting them 50 feet across the parking lot. Boulder-sized rocks. And the waves were going over the pier. I took pictures, and it was awe-inspiring. Amazing power. Amazing. When the earth shakes during an earthquake, you feel it. You feel like you're, you're at the whim. You're just, you're just a, a rag doll. The sea, he speaks and it does exactly what he wants it to do. Total mastery, total control. This is creation imagery. The waters, he commands the waters to separate from the, from the land and it does it. In Job 38, it says that he's given a border to the waves. They can't go beyond it unless he says so. Again, to the ancient Near Eastern mind, this would be, wow. This is no small God. It brings to mind the Exodus event. We already mentioned it, so I read from it. it where the, the, God said, okay, 
I'm going to cause a wind to come, and he separates the sea. And, how, and what did they walk on? It says they walked on dry ground. That was at the beginning of the Exodus event. It happens 40 years later when they crossed the Jordan. It says the same terminology. The waters were gathered up as a heap 15 miles north of the crossing, and they walked across on dry ground. It was during flood levels too. This is a major deal. God, in the midst of delivering his people, shows his creation power. And it's not just for the Jews. It's for God's people today. Now, we may never see something of that might happen. But whenever someone becomes a Christian, they go from what? Death to life. That's a miracle. God is working at all times to sustain the universe. Oh, who does he do that through? Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the one who upholds all things by the word of his mouth. This is the God worthy of praise. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. This is a call to all peoples to come under his authority, a call to submission and awe. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The proof of of our need to praise him is watching this creation power in his might on display. He is worthy of our praise. I was counseling a, a gentleman once. He was in his late 80s. He was a survivor of the Holocaust. And he was getting old and he was losing uh, just grasp of reality, beginnings of dementia. And one of the things I had him do as part of his just counseling and just during the week when I'd have his wife take him on a walk out in the park and I would have her help him notice creation, the trees, the sun, the birds, describe the birds, get him to look around. Why is that? Because creation, his God's handiwork tells us of this great God. It was to help him. One of the things to do just to help him notice God is still in the picture. He was fearful, remembering these scary, terrible things from the Holocaust. And he was a Christian. He had great joy. He had a great testimony. But towards the end of his life, these fears came back. But as he would do this, he would read scripture, he'd go on a walk with his wife. He'd notice God's handiwork. And he was encouraged. Because God is actively working now. We see it in creation, but we see it in people's lives. It's one of the greatest things about being involved in ministry. And I don't just talk about professional ministry. I'm talking about where you are discipling others. You get to be a part of God's ongoing work now. Man, do it. It's so exciting. So exciting. God is worthy of praise. His power on display. May we notice it. May that inform our praise. May it inform our praise so much so that we want to shout loudly. God's people are also to sing a new song praising Him for His sovereign reign. In verses 10 through 17, He gives us a third reason to sing His praises. Because of His sovereign reign over the affairs of man, over the nations, over the events of life. Verse 10, The Lord brings the counsels of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. This brings to mind Psalm 2, where it says, The nations rage against the Lord and His anointed. And what is God's response? He laughs. 
they're nothing. We, we, we're in the midst of a, a worldwide crisis, you know, with the Ukraine uh, crisis going on where Russia's invaded and it's on the news all the time and we see tragic things in this world of instant media and it's tragic. And we, we, we watch the different, you know, nations meet, try to come up with plans and, and we feel helpless. Is there anything we can do? There's nothing that we think we can do. But from God's perspective... He's still in control. The nations are at His whim, at, under His plan, under His control. Though we don't, we, we, may, we may miss it. The psalmist won't let us. God is in control. He controls the nations. A great example is He, told, he called Babylon His servant to come and bring bring punishment, discipline on the nation of Israel. He called a foreign nation his servant to do what he wanted to do to his people. God's in control. God's in control. I I watch different news media like many of you, but you know what? I opened my Bible even more. We had a, a panel up here maybe a year ago, and they were they were we were asked, what should we do in in the current light of events. What should we do? I said, turn off your TV and read the Bible more. Not that we shouldn't watch the news. I'm not saying that. But folks, we watch, we hear a lot of man's wisdom. We watch a lot of man's ways. Folks, we need more of God's Word to remind us of our great God so that our praise comes from hearts that are resting in Him despite our circumstances. I'm not saying your circumstances are going to go away, but you're going to gain new vision about those circumstances. May this song remind us that the Lord is in control. He's worthy of praise. The nations may plan, but God's power overrules. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Nations make treaties. They're broken all the time. God's word stands forever. He is wise. He is good. He knows what's best. He has has an enduring, perfect plan. Unthwarted. All perfect. Good. Caring. Loving. I like God's counsel. I like God's counsel. His is the trustworthy plan that never fails and is utterly good and right. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. This blessed is a happy, settled joy. It's it's for that nation that enjoyed God's leading, the nation coveted to, to Abraham's children. They have joy because who their God was. They didn't have a God, a gods of the nations. They had Yahweh God who chose them, not because they were better than anyone else or bigger than anyone else. He chose them because he decided to, because he had a plan to unfold. He says, my wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. Watch it happen. And we have it in scripture. We see it happening. And then we see the new covenant unfolding. What do we see? Not many wise are chosen, not many mighty. He uses the what? The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Praise God for that. God's ways are greater. We can count on Him. He is the all-wise God. And the people whom He has chosen is His inheritance. This is election language. 
His unhindered plans for His people, His overwhelming power, His wise and good counsel belong to His people in particular. His elect people, His chosen people. Now we see that in the Old Testament, but in the New Covenant, oh boy, we're reading, we're hearing about that in Ephesians, aren't we? That God's mystery that's being, that was revealed in the New Covenant is that Gentiles are being brought in. Oh, thank you, Lord. We are part of His heritage now. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. This is a picture of God's enthroned sovereignty, reigning from His throne, looking down on the earth. His gaze doesn't miss anything. Nothing's hidden from Him. There's no backroom deals being made to undermine his rule or to sabotage his plans or to ambush his people. God sees all and rules over all. He is the sovereign over all the earth, over all the peoples. He's the king of all peoples. He's their creator king. It says that he fashioned them. He made them. Folks, when we walk around, we live in a world of there's two types of people. Those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the saved and the unsaved. But they're all made in the image of God. They're made in the image of God. He fashioned them. He made them. We need to tell him or tell them of his reign and rule and the gospel that displays his love. He's the transcendent God who's come near in Jesus Christ. And we want to bring that kingdom, the kingdom Jesus talked about. Repent for the what is at hand? The kingdom. He's brought that kingdom. He is the reigning Savior who will return one day. We need to tell them of that kingdom because He is the, reign, the one who is overall, and either they're going to get His reward when He returns or they're going to get His judgment, His wrath. Folks, may His kingdom be seen in how we live. He is the Lord over all the earth. We can trust Him to be the one who reigns, but does it look like that in our lives The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might we cannot rescue. The psalmist declares what is most true. It's not the size of your army. It's not the greatest warrior. It's not the most advanced weapons you can accumulate. It's the king himself who you need. And this king is is the God of Israel, Yahweh, Israel wanted a a king like the nations to be their source of victory, the measure of status and place among the nations. God had to send judges to call them back. No, you need me. You don't need a king. You need me to be your king. The kings of Israel were warned not to go to Egypt, not to get chariots, not to get horses, not to count the people or count their army. Yet they would constantly do that. So God had to send prophets to call them back to him. Will you trust me to be your God to fight your battles? We have so many pictures. That's what we need to know the Old Testament. Read it to see the stories of God's work. And we see people like Gideon with a small handful of men taking on thousands, winning an incredible victory because of a great plan 
No, because of a great God. These are crazy stories, but they're great to remind us God will have the glory because He's going to do it in a way that we would not plan. It's by His power and His might. Again, I'm talking about these stories with folks that applies to us in our current circumstances, in our current situations, in the life we live. This is the same God. And yet we forget. We got to pay attention. We got to pay attention to this great God and what He's doing. Will you trust in His goodness in your life and His care in your life and His power to work? I'm not talking about grand miracles. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the everyday. Do you wake up in the morning and realize He's given me breath for another day? Why does He do that? Well, He wants you to live in His life for His glory one more day. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough tree. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So live that day for His glory. After, after we're done here at the service, you have an, a, an opportunity now to encourage brothers and sisters. And then during the week, you have an opportunity, if God gives you another day, to be His light in the workplace, in your neighborhood. This is our great God that we carry with us and we go as His people. Will we trust Him? Will we be living lives of praise? And now we end up where the psalmist ends up. God's people, as a result of the praises offered, of all these reasons, now declare their trust in this praiseworthy king. The promises and hope for his people lead to joy and rest. His covenanting love, his steadfast love for his people is our bedrock for hope and security. 18 and 19, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in the famine. Behold, pay attention. This is, he's coming to a conclusion. Pay attention to this. The scope narrows down from the peoples to his people. God's gaze for his children on those who fear him, who have placed their hopes in him and his covenanting love, seeing him as the great and mighty one. These people have great comfort. He has laser-like focus now on his people, a particular love and care for his people. That's what God does. And it's not just you and you because you're special Christians. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are adopted into his family and you are recipients of his love, his enduring love. Will you blow it? Will you feel undeserving at some point? Everyone say, yes, you will. Me too. But his love doesn't fail. He never fails us. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. God's people wait on him. Such a God is worthy of trust. They're the ones who wait on him, on his timing, on his plans. It's not easy. I tell counselees all the time, it's not going to get easier for you if you want to start walking in God's ways towards him forsaking sin and, and seeking to put on righteousness. It's not going to be easy. You're fighting your flesh. You're fighting the world. 
You're flighting Satan. But is it worth it? Yes, it is. God is great. God is right. God is good. God is caring. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our lives. And we wait on Him and on His timing and on His plan for our lives. He has proven faithful. He is faithful. Verse 21, For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Gladness, rejoicing, because their trust is grounded on nothing temporary or fickle. Not wishful thinking, but founded on the Father. The King like no other. The Sovereign who is loving and powerful to save. Our heart is glad in Him. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Hope established and guaranteed due to his covenanting love. And from it comes a song of praise. They sing to this great God. We do too. When you're driven to your knees in despair, your circumstances overwhelming, where will you turn? Turn to this great God. And as you walk with him, Be ever on the lookout, looking for new reasons to sing new songs of praise. I love hearing, Joel, when you talk about me and my friend, we were writing a song. I love hearing that. Folks, you don't have to be artistic or creative to think of a new song for God. Take the songs that we sung and just fill them with the meaning from your own life that you saw this week. Be on the lookout this coming week. How is God at work? How can I be involved in being a part of his work in someone else's life. Be on the lookout. Be alert. If your hope is in the best life now, (laughs) you're in trouble. This is the example of George Bernard Shaw, a liberal philosopher, uh, died in 1950 at the age of 94. In his last writings, we read, "...the science to which I pinned my faith is bankrupt." Its counsels, which should have established the millennium, led instead directly to suicide, the suicide of Europe. I believed them once. In their name, I helped to destroy the faith of millions of worshipers in the temples of a thousand creeds. And now they look at me and witness the great tragedy of an atheist who has lost his faith. Folks, (laughs) we have the person and work of Jesus Christ to rely upon. If you have not believed in the Lord Jesus, surrendered to Him, confessing your sin, repenting of it, turning towards Him for forgiveness and hope and eternal life, I beg you, do it. I also command you to believe the gospel, as Paul said. Repent. And for those of us who are Christians... What do our lives look like to a watching world? Do they see hope? Do they see people who are thankful no matter their circumstances? Do they see people who believe there's a God who changes lives and that there's a hope no matter what happens, that there's a point to history? It's not meaningless. It's going somewhere. Do they see the hope? Do they ask you, hey, why do you hope in such a way. 
Second Peter, do they see something that makes them want to ask a question? Are you exhorted? As we see God at work and are on the alert, may songs of praise come out of our mouths when we sing joyfully a bounce in our step like George Harris. Amen. And many of you do that too. But may we hear the psalmist exhortation to God's people, sing loudly, sing with enthusiasm, sing with reason for why we have this hope. Amen? So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope we have. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus Christ. Undeserved love, undeserved grace, undeserved mercy. Lord, we praise your holy name and we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this church, my friends here, brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you, uh, Lord, for the commitment of of this church to preach through your word, Lord, to proclaim your greatness, to say unapologetically, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, to say with, with all gusto and joy and enthusiasm, our God reigns. Lord, you are worthy of praise. May it look ever more so to be true in my life, in the lives of my brothers and sisters here. God, may you be glorified by this church in ever-increasing ways and in churches like ours around this valley, around this state, around this nation, around the world. God, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.